starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Turning a Moment into a Movement. And I am your host, Jay Love. I want to tell you that this movement was birthed the day my son, Gerard, was wrongfully incarcerated for a crime that he didn't do. And it birthed the Justice for Gerard movement. And that birthed this movement, Turning a Moment into a Movement, where we come here every Friday. And our goal is to educate our community about wrongful convictions and about other injustices in the um, criminal justice system. And we're here to, um, to get you to think, to get you to research on your own, to get you to not only take our words, but to um, go and research on your own so you can be real versed. And so you can make sound decisions about, um, what we need or what you may want to do to stand up against injustice. So thank you for joining us. Um, below the, um, you see www.change.org slash justice for Gerard. If you go there, you will hear more about Gerard's story. You can um, sign a petition and share the petition with others. Also, we asking you to please share Share this um, video with others on your platform. So the word about um, the Justice for Gerard movement and turn a movement, a moment into a movement can get out. And also um, um, it will help educate and with um, others. Um, today, um, we're going to bring on our panel and we're gonna start off with Revitia. <laughs> well, hello there. Hi. God bless you. It's so good to see you. I've been praying for you, Jay Love, and, and, uh, and all that you do. And I'm so grateful to be here on the panel today. I um, am been working, have been working with the uh, task force for Flint for reparations. And I continue to, of course, support your movement. I'm supporting... Um, Turn, you know, turning a moment into a movement because it is so dear to my heart and because we see it on a daily basis and we have to continue to speak out against it. And I always say we got to educate first. We have to educate before we organize. We have to educate so pe people can know what to do and how we need to operate in this society. I am so pleased to be a minister at Transforming Love Community and I've uh, been there since 2002, where uh, Reverend Shahira Stevens, Dr. Reverend Shahira Stevens is our pastor. And uh, just, I'm so excited to be in this community, a part of this group. Um, and knowing that, uh, you know, after having twin boys, that made a difference in my life. Yes. And I knew that I have to be the voice out there, whether they find trouble, whether they have 
been a part of it or not, because it affects us in so many different ways. And so I am together with you on this. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're here today. Next. Um, hi, Baraka. You're muted. <laughs> Unmute yourself. There you How go. How you guys doing? I apologize for that. <laughs> um, it's great to be here this evening, uh, um, J Love and uh, Reverend Tia, and um, the other guests that will be coming on. My name is um, Edward Sanders. I go by the name of Baraka. Um, I am a um, recent graduate from the University of Michigan School of Social Work. I'm also a member of the Detroit um, Justice Center um, Board of Directors. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm the most recent uh, or newest uh, member of the Board of Directors. Um, I'm a community activist. I um, often um, advocate um, on behalf of um, former juvenile lifers without parole, as well as those who haven't yet been released and, uh, and those who are uh, incarcerated in general. Um, I advocate around issues relevant to um, um, them, and um, we don't identify ourselves as returning citizens because you do not return with a constitutional uh, with the constitutional rights of citizens. In fact, immigrants and others in this country, not to take and blame on their status, but they they actually have more rights than those who come home after having been convicted, and this is why we believe in a um, restorative justice. And um, um, I'm glad to be a part of the Detroit Justice Center uh, organization that considers itself to be a movement uh, on law firm that take and advocate for multiple issues relevant to um, Detroit um, residents um, from um, land rights to uh, um, centrals from water to, to um, 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 house uh, um, electricity uh, um, to employment and the removing of barriers in general. So I'll, I'm very um, glad to be um, part of that. And I should inform you uh, myself that I too served 43 years in Michigan prison. And um, this July will mark my fourth year home. So the things that I just mentioned in terms of accomplishments, the things that I have acquired since I came home and I acquired them in less time than generally the Department of Correction put a person on parole which demonstrate we don't need parole. All we need is an opportunity to be free of yes. the stigma that is placed on us. And thank you very much. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're home and I'm so grateful for all the work that you're doing. Thank you. Next. Hi, Alexandria. Hey. <laughs> all right. Introduce yourself and tell everyone what it is that you do. Yes. Uh, my name is Alexandria. I am an activist as well as behavior therapist and coordinator. I'm uh, with Michigan Liberation Oakland County team as well as accountability for Dearborn. And also I'm with uh, representative, Michigan representative Kyra Bowen's virus city council for Oakland County. And I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So next, hello, attorney Hugo Matt. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Introduce yourself. Well, my name is Hugo Mack, uh, licensed practicing attorney in Michigan, um, in and out of the penitentiary for the last 40 some odd years. I'm probably one of the only attorneys in the state of Michigan to have two bar numbers. One vertical, all right, 
232506 and one horizontal, 30997. You see? So I understand the system from all sides. And when I mean all sides, I do mean all sides. Mm -hmm. uh, having endured a wrongful conviction and stayed within the penitentiary myself, I understand what it means to come out and be discriminated against. I understand having advanced degrees and can't get a job at Myers stacking tomato cans. I understand what it means to be discriminated against in housing. Can't get a loan, you know, uh, can't get a car. Public transportation is my limousine or was for, for a good while. So I understand these things that the discrimination against people that have had a penitentiary experience experience. And one of my main goals is to continue to highlight the hypocrisy of people who say they believe in freedom, they believe in liberty, they believe in justice, they believe in all these things, except when it comes to the person that was in a penitentiary experience, that was wrongfully convicted, or that was overly convicted, you see? When it comes to those groups, those same principles of liberty and justice don't apply. When it comes to those groups, America's a land of second chance and opportunity proves to, in large portion of me to be a lie. So I'm proud and my strength comes from my relationship with God through Jesus Christ to have come out of the penitentiary experience and do something which had never been done in the history of the state of Michigan. And that is regain a law license. Never was done before in the history of the state of Michigan. So I say that as a matter of pride, not for myself, but as encouragement for other people. You don't have to accept no. You know, I heard a man say one time, it doesn't matter what you call me, it only matters what I answer to. So for me, I'm proud to be back in the fight. The Lord has answered my prayer, returned me to the battlefield. And I'm here to always encourage people to go that extra mile because a lot of times you're closer to the victory than you realize, okay? But other people want you to be discouraged and be despondent, think there's no way this can happen. You know, you're wasting people's time. Well. You know, I heard a woman by the name of Jay Love say one time, we have nothing to lose but our chains. And so, you know, um, I'm all about busting chains and starting with my own. And I'm proud to be here. I'm happy you're here. Thank you. So today, Trisha can't join us. So we have Reverend Ed Pinkney in her spot today. Hi, Reverend Ed Pinkney. Hey, Jay Love. Hey, I'm 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 excited. You know, you, you got all these heavy hitters with you with you today, and 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 they look they, and they got a story to tell. I, I you know, and 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 that is tremendous. You know, um, one of the things that I do, I I've been court watching for the last 22, 23 years. That's that's really what I do. That's that really reorganized my way of thinking. But during the process of uh, court watching, I was sent to prison for quoting uh, Deuteronomy 28, starting with the 14th verse. Uh, they, uh, the first thing they said, it was a threat on the judge's life. And uh, uh, unfortunately, it was, it was in a newspaper. It, has, you know, it, it did mention the judge's name, but it was strictly a quote from, from the Bible. And it, so uh, uh, my way of thinking that judge must be doing some, something awful terrible, be afraid of a quote from the Bible. He was scared that hell was going to be his home. And it's, it's unfortunate, uh, but we have to make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do. You know, so, so that's crucial. And just recently, um, in 2014, they sent me to prison 
for forgery on a recall petition, which there was no such charge as for, and I knew that. I, and I, I told my attorney, I said, there is no charge of forgery on a recall petition. Even if the signature is no good, all you do is cross it out. Everybody, I knew, I knew it. And I felt if I knew it, the prosecutor should have known it, the judge should have known it, and everybody else should have known it. But unfortunately, they figured that you don't have the resources to fight. And that's why they're able to get away with this. So I spent 30 months in prison for, for, for something that was even a charge. There was no such charge. Uh, they, they, they labeled 168.937. And, you know, it was a penalty, but not, you know, it, it, it wasn't a charge, official charge. So the state of uh, the Court of Appeals, they rejected it. They say, you know, whatever they say is fine, you know, because we the Court of Appeal, we say we're going to get back. But we took it to the Supreme Court, and Supreme Court ruled in my favor. They ruled in my favor. Every last member of the Supreme Court said absolutely that Reverend Pinckney is absolutely right. There's no such charge as forgery on a recall pit, uh, uh, petition under that. And uh, when they ruled that, what made it so good was that, you know, it, it kind of like show people what you can do when you learn to fight back mm-hmm. more than anything else. And mm-hmm. here, I, I want to add this. I, I don't want to take up too much time, but what we did, we, we filed two lawsuits. We filed one with the uh, uh, against the state of Michigan. And we, we used the prosecutor name, but it was against the state of Michigan. But in, in the state of Michigan, there's really no remedy for it. So we went and uh, uh, we're in the Court of Appeals right now on, on uh, dealing with the state. So we're saying when, when they put me in prison, they took away my liberty. And, and that's where we're going with that. Uh, but then we also in federal court. Now, federal court is, is, is a little bit different. We decided to sue the county and the office of the prosecutor and 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 you can actually do it and i we believe that we're going to win that we're we're fighting this to show people that these are grounds that most times you 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 don't get to this stage you 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 know you never you very seldom because basically what the court of claim told us that uh there was there's no constitutional violation when a person is sent to prison with no charge Judge Stevens said this, but I think she was just trying to get rid of us, and and thinking that we will go uh, uh, that we will go away more than anything else. So then we filed, you know, we just filed recently with the court. Uh, we're going to the claim court, then we're also going to the Supreme Court if we lose, because I think we think this issue is so big that we think that if you sit to prison and uh, uh, for uh, for no reason, or you are innocent man and sitting in prison. There should be a remedy, you see, mm-hmm. and 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 that's the challenge. So what we're doing now, we're fighting them on both on both land. We're getting them in federal court, and we got them in state court. So and, and chances are we might win both. But uh, I I think we're 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 set on we 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 know one thing. According to the federal, we're in a better position to win in the federal court than the state court. The uh, prosecutor. He came out and said that he was an agent of the state. 
not an agent of the county. He works for the, uh, but he actually is paid by the county. So rather than uh, uh, actually, well, you know, you, he got the 11th Amendment, so you can't really sue him. So what we did, we <laughs> we we sued his office and the county. And yeah. it seems like that has legs and that's running. So yeah. that's, you know, some of the things that, you know, that we do. Also, we, we reorganized the, uh, uh, the, the court appointing attorney system. Uh, that's some of our work here by court watching the ACLU used, used uh, the, uh, uh, the work that we have done to file in court to make sure that they supply the court appointing attorneys with more money to fight, you see. So, mm -hmm. we, you know, we, we, we've been doing some things down here and we stand focused. We know what has to be done. Right. And and uh and, and the key is to believe to me, I always believe that there's strength in numbers. And right. when we when you got the numbers, you can do a whole lot of things. Right. So that's you know, and that's how it works. And I, I'm just happy to be here today to we're, we're, happy, we're happy you here. Thank mm. you, Reverend Pigney. Absolutely. So today our inspiration for our conversation. We done lost you, J-Love. I'm back. I'm back. back. There you go. I don't know what happened. So, anywho, today, the inspiration for our conversation is from um, this book here, Locking Up Our Own, Crime and Punishment in Black America. And um, I have a video I want to play, you guys, and then we're going to have a conversation. Okay. About to be released called Locking Crime and Punishment in Black America. And the book for me really came from the fact that I was a public defender in Washington, D.C. in the 1990s, around the same time that I started my Angelus School. In fact, my Angelus School grew out of my work as a public defender. I had taken the job because I viewed the criminal justice system as, the, as a really important civil rights issue for my generation, really alongside education. And I knew about the racial disparities in our criminal justice system, that one in three black men um, were... Uh, locked up. And I went to Washington, D.C., and one of the things that I found there, I had one experience in particular that kind of drove this home for me. I was representing a young man by the name of Brandon, and he was charged with possession of a gun and possession of two small baggies of marijuana. And we were going for sentencing, and I was arguing that he should be given probation. It was first offense. I had letters from his coaches, his counselors, his teachers, his mom and grandmother were there in court. The prosecutor was arguing that he should be locked up and sent to Oak Hill, which was one of these terrible juvenile prisons with no functioning school. It was basically like a dungeon. And the judge was had to make the ruling. And everybody in the courtroom that day was African-American. The judge, the prosecutor, mm. me, Brandon, the bailiff, the court reporter. Right before the judge sentenced Brandon, 
he leaned forward and he said, you know, Mr. Foreman tells me that you have potential. And Mr. Foreman tells you that you've had a hard life. Well, let me tell you, I know life is hard for young black men today, but it was much harder once upon a time. And he goes back and he starts talking about the 1950s when he was a kid. And then he says, we had a civil rights movement. People fought and died for you to be free. Martin Luther King died for you. And he didn't die for you to be out there running and thugging and carrying a gun and disrespecting your family and your community. And he locked him up. And I remember thinking at the time how perverse it was to me that the judge was invoking Martin Luther King in service of locking up another young black man. I viewed myself as like the civil rights warrior in this story. I thought I was doing the civil rights mission and the judge had exactly the opposite view. And that made me realize that there was a story to be told. There was a, there was a book that needed to be written about the complicated, nuanced politics of crime and punishment in black communities because we aren't only criminal defendants and we're not only victims. We're also, especially in a city like Washington, D.C., police officers and prosecutors and judges. And in D.C., it's a majority black city council that wrote the gun and drug laws that Brandon was being sentenced under. So I wanted to tell the story of what's been happening in the last 40 years that would lead people like this judge to view, to invoke Martin Luther King en route to incarceration. One of the chapters is about, it's about policing. It's about basically what I call warrior policing, which is this really hyper aggressive um, kind of policing. Stop and frisk, right, has been a big issue in New York City and nationwide. And I really, I try to show how the roots of that approach to policing came out of the crack era and the crack epidemic and all the associated violence in the 80s and 90s. But I also wanted to show the consequences of that style of that kind of militaristic style of policing. So I use these incidents where the police would roll up onto the students at Maya Angelou in front of the school and jump out at them and throw them against the wall and search their backpacks and disperse their stuff and really kind of degrade and dehumanize them. I use that as a way, as a way of showing how damaging this style of policing is. And I, and I talk about then how hard it is to run a school that's trying to change the trajectory of kids' lives when the police are undermining our message on a daily basis. But really, in so many ways, you can see, I mean, education is not an explicit theme of the book, but it's an underlying theme throughout a number of the stories that I tell in the book are of juvenile clients. People like Brandon in that first instance, or people like kids like the kids at Maya Angelou, or there's a kid named Dante who commits an armed robbery, and I talk about my efforts to get the judge in the court system to see him as fully human, as somebody who did something terrible, but not defined entirely by that terrible action. It, in a sense, of teenagers and their connection to the criminal justice system and in some instances to the education system is really kind of woven throughout the book. All right.
So as we know, it's uh, systemic racism has led to uh, mass incarceration of Black people in America. As of 2019, um, Black people are uh, 40% of the population, 14%, I'm sorry, 14% of the U.S. population, but 40% of the U.S. incarcerated um, population. And so this book is talking about, um, and we have amongst ourselves have had many conversations about the same people who uh, look like us, have our same skin color, are also the ones who are um, involved in this um, uh, mass incarceration. So I'm going to start with uh, Attorney Hugo Mack, and then we'll take it from there, you guys. See, once again, there's a slight delay, and uh, so sometimes I double-click the button. I apologize. No. Um, well, you know, I mean, first of all, when you quote 14% of the population and about 40% of the prison population, <clears throat> it's even worse than that, because when you talk about the Black population, you're talking about kids, too. Remember that. Right. You're talking about elderly people, you know, senior citizens, too. You know, remember that. And babies. So when you actually talk about the black male and female population of the United States, that's really only like seven to eight percent. Okay. So and and if you take four half of that, let's say four percent, you know, being black males eligible to be in the penitentiary, to have four percent of the population be forty percent of the prison population is astounding. Astounding. Okay. So th there's no question that the systemic racism exists. But let me tell you something from my heart that I've discovered in my practice, okay? <laughs> the more homogeneous the group, the less race is a matter, okay? And systemic racism is a matter. I mean, I think that what he said about Washington DC is exactly right. Because when you've got black policemen, black prosecutors, black judges, black jurors, black victims, the fact that the person is, is black who is a defendant is not key in anybody's dynamic in that in, in that situation. And the, whether that's good or bad, I don't know, but but it's a fact. Because when people are, and, and I've run into this, you know, with black victims and, and black defendants, you know, those people that are victimized are pissed off. Okay, you know, they want somebody to answer specifically, and which is which is righteous, I understand that for breaking into their house. So I cannot tell you how many times I've tried to talk, you know, through the prosecutor in terms of victim impact statements to have somebody, you know, can you have some compassion? You know, um, this person, you know, it, you know, get, let, let's give them a chance. But it, it hasn't really been successful. And so um, I've seen some very vicious, vicious criminal trials, uh, for example, murder cases, all black, you know, victim black, defendants black. And I'm telling you, the last thing them people that, I, they, that, that, that they're talking about is systemic racism. So um, that is something that we have to address, I guess, in our own community, how we want to handle that. Because people have a right to be safe in their homes. You know, you have a right to come and go without somebody putting a gun to your head. And you have a right for somebody to be held accountable. However, having said that, 
a system that would destroy a person's soul much more than their body has definitely got got, got to be got to be addressed. So, you know, I think we've got to address that in our community. Uh, you know, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, you know, uh, believed in and believes in self-policing and holding people accountable, criminals, you know, uh, the poison in our kids and stuff like that. So maybe there's some credence to that. Allie. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I personally, when I see people that look like me, the same thing that people do that don't look like me, I'm not surprised only because I know internalized racism exists. Um, we all live in this country. Racism has affected us multiple ways. Um, and, you know, we grew up under this, this system and this structure. So there are people who are, are complicit with that and okay with that. Um, also think about how it's, it's just the side of right and wrong that it is at the end of the day. You know, it's not about like, you know, I love seeing um, people that look at like me in high places. I do. But if you're in those high places and you are oppressing the community that is most harshly affected by racism, then I would rather you not be there at the end of the day. Um, it's about whether you are helping the community, helping people, trying to stop racism, trying to end that. That's what it's about at the end of the day. Um, and you know, like you go to around the world, like mass incarceration, incarceration is not just an American thing. Um, I know, um, what is it, Seychelles, uh, East Africa. Um, is right there with America in terms of the most incarcerated people, like the rate, the incarceration rate per 100,000 is right there with America. And that's in East Africa. Mm. So I can't really say, you know, this is a white and black, oh, you know, if we get a black police chief, but no, we got to look at the structure. Racism is not just the individual. It Racism can exist in a culture, within a culture, community, it can exist in a structure. It can also exist. I don't know. It can it can exist. Um, I don't know through our schools, through technology. Like it can, you know. These I call these things. You know, this is what people that want to oppress include in their oppression toolkit. Is what I call right. It. Right. I look how you know through housing, not having fair housing in communities, and knowing that the rate of black ownership is the same as it was when Fair Housing Act was passed 50 years ago. So, you know, it's these things, knowing these things, and it just, it reaffirms that you can't um, look at race as the reason these things keep happening. No, that structure still exists. We have to transform that, make something better for us all. Like, right. When you break up the numbers, I was reading a study and it said black males are incarcerated at a rate of 4,342 inmates per 100,000 U.S. citizens. There are more African-American men incarcerated in the U.S. than in the total prison population of India, Argentina, Canada, Lebanon, Japan, Germany, Finland, Israel, and England combined. That's crazy. 
Uh, Reverend T, I, I see your head. Yeah, you know that those those numbers are just this mind boggling. And, and I think that part of the platform, part of what we need to do is to continue to put these out here. Because a lot of times people don't know the numbers. They don't break down the numbers. They're not looking at the numbers. Our community doesn't know the numbers. Nice. Our community isn't really looking at the numbers. You say percentage, they, they, they can't, they don't conceptualize that. And then when you, when you just stick with numbers only and don't put faces behind it, then, then it's, it's easier to treat African-Americans as non-human. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's that's what um, you know, because implicit bias is uh, like Ali said, it's internalized bias. This is an internalized um, pattern, thought pattern that um, African-Americans have about themselves. But my thing is that anybody in leadership, anybody in a public office, anybody um, who is supposed to be servicing the community, should have taken an implicit bias test. How many are tested? How many are tested to see where are you in your thought process? There are tests out here to, to show, you know, and, and let's just be frank, the people who administer the test need, need to be unbiased. You know, um, unfortunately we have people in leadership, people in public office, and people who are supposed to be servicing the community who have not been tested for their biased views. They're, they haven't, so they can just do whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about African-Americans too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it, go ahead, Allie, what were you going to say? Oh, oh, no, no. Uh, no, I'm just going to get back, go back to numbers really quick to give a, paint a picture a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, go ahead. So, okay, so the the National Institute of Corrections, like if anybody goes there, you can find all this information. But um, Seychelles uh, in East Africa, a country in East Africa, one of the smallest countries, and they don't have a lot of people. So they're smaller than America. 799 per 100,000 is the incarceration rate. America is 698 per 100,000. So they're right there next to each other. Right. Um, just to paint a picture, an idea. So... And when you think about that, then you compare that to other countries that are substantially smaller. You know, it lets you know that it is possible to not incarcerate everybody this way. Um, yeah, so definitely go to National um, Institution of Corrections. All that information is there. Every single country, it'll give you the rate, total percentage, um, and also some of the practices that they have for these institutions. Yeah, because um, uh, the Department of Justice says there are, uh, according to the Department of Justice, there are more black males incarcerated in the United States than all the women globally that are in prison. Reverend Ed Pinkney, you mute. You got to unmute yourself. You muted, Reverend Pinkney. There you go. Okay. Uh, you 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 know, and, and think about China. China, yeah. you know, uh, they have two billion people, and there's more people incarcerated here in the United States and in and in, in China. And they, they always talk about the violations that they have. They always talk about how bad it is in China. 
they always, you know, when they when you want to bring up something, they always bring up China. China has two billion people, and yet United States have more people incarcerated than China. Mm-hmm. And people and people don't you see they don't want to talk about that. I, I want to say this best about my, my my black brothers and sisters. I love them to death, but I I tell you this much about it. We have a black judge here. Her name is Mabel Mayfield. And I remember when she first became a judge here over 20 years ago. She was bad then. She was so bad that they they allowed her, instead of being in the criminal set, well, they put her in uh, to take away children, the black children. That's what they did. and And she thought that she was doing the right thing. My niece and her is in the same fraternity. And I had the opportunity to speak at that fraternity. And it was so happy she was there. And I called her out completely. Because I don't have no respect for these judges walking around here thinking that they're, they're all robbers of somebody who they can do all these different things. And I said, no. I said, you have an opportunity, you know, in, in one of the most racist counties in the whole world, Barron County is so racist that they drive around, that you see them like in the South with the Confederate flag and, and these trucks. That's how they do here. But the people allow it. When you allow something like that, it's going to continue and get worse. But Judge Mayfield had an opportunity to help the community, to help the community. and had the nerve to be with a fraternity uh, of all black fraternity. Uh, it's a black uh, fraternity. And and she acted like she all this in a bag of chips. And I, I called her out right, right as, as I was speaking. I called her name because I told her. I said, that woman ain't no good. <laughs> I said, she done destroyed our community. And she had. But I just say, <laughs> just to say, you know, our brothers and sisters, we have to call them out too. Yeah. You know, we can't give them a free ride. And most of the time, if we know somebody, oh, I went to school with him. That's that's to me. That's the worst thing you can ever say to somebody. I went to school with him. He's all right. You know, he's the one who chopping your children neck off. Mm-hmm. He's the main one, and he think he's doing his. He, what he doing? He think he's doing okay. He said, "Well, I'm I'm doing right. Uh, I'm I'm chopping his neck head off for the white man." This is the mentality that we deal with. But we have to make sure that we don't allow them to get a free ride. And that's what we normally do. We allow them to get a free ride, and they continue to chop our heads off and join the committee. And that's what I have to say. Baraka? You you all have made some very excellent points. Uh, one of our tasks uh, ahead of us in terms of taking in uh, abolition or reform work is actually dealing with ourselves because mm-hmm. we were successful. We have been successful in terms of the civil rights era and taking and thrusting African-Americans and other people of color into positions and authority responsibility. But it's not just the position, it's also the mentality and taking the understanding that you have to have an agenda. Everyone has an agenda. You're taking and saying that you don't have an agenda is to take and say that you are not uh, uh, um, 
you are not synchronized to place and time and circumstances. In other words, you're insane. You know, you're insane to take and believe that there is not an agenda. And your agenda should be simply to look out for your own interests. You know, to create a system that reflects a healthy situation for yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. White people know how to keep white children and other white peoples out of the criminal justice system. And they do it in a way where it, don't, it doesn't cause them fear. The evidence of that is their absence in America's prisons. But African-Americans seem like they need to save America by taking and locking up every, everybody that looked like them. We had a mayor, everybody was saying that here are black people that wanted an economic opportunity to do something here. And he was like, oh, we're going to play by a, 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 a fair, a fair um, field. And he denied those African-American entrepreneurs the opportunity to do what African-Americans did in Atlanta here in Detroit. Okay, I admire this, this person, a lot of integrity. This person is a person of a lot of integrity. But in this instance, he was very wrong. He was very wrong, okay? And it just repeats itself. Here we have a woman as a prosecutor. She cut her teeth in, a, in Judge Cochran courtroom. She cut her teeth in Judge Cochran courtroom. Sentence, she convicted two white cops for killing a black man. The first time that African-American or anybody was able to successfully put cops in prison for killing a black person. But she repeated the very act that made this judge who he was in the African-American community. This man became known, Judge Crockett, for not tolerating violations of African-Americans Fourth Amendment which is the right to take and be secure in your person. When the Detroit police took and went inside of a black church and when they couldn't get anyone to cooperate with them as to who supposedly had been shot, and, and, and uh, uh, I believe it was a police or something that was killed at the time, and they ran up in a black church. No one would cooperate with them and they arrested the whole church. Men, women, children, the preacher, everybody. Reverend Tia, you was in cuffs. They arrested everybody. And this courageous judge, <coughs> at a time when <coughs> the number of black judges in the country, you can count on one hand and still have fingers on your hand, he was courageous enough to take him, release them all. This is how he got his name and his reputation and his prestige in the African-American community, not just simply because he'd done that, but at the time that he done it, it was very significant. She won her case in his courtroom. And this is the woman just recently on television when a Jewish or white man here in uh, uh, Washington County said that he was going to have the police in this county to cease and desist on arresting using pre-contents to stop a motorist for supposedly committing traffic violations under the pretext of taking and violating their constitutional right and leading to other incidents, which often leads to African-Americans getting locked up and being put in prison and sometimes killed. You know, when you see the black woman that was 
arrested and then put in a jail cell and then they claim she killed herself in that cell it was for one of those stops when you see these many instances that we are protesting about and here at the heart of this why we are protesting this she says this and this is the courtroom she was in the courtroom so i'm like what didn't you learn when you was in that man courtroom why do you think you were given a fair opportunity to prosecute these two white cops you had a courageous pointer that presided over your case. We are missing the real lessons. We are missing the real lessons. We need that same civil rights organizations and, and, and us ourselves as activists to take and spend some time on re-educating us on how to, how to possess these positions, how to take over these responsibilities. We over in South Africa telling black South Africans how to assume positions in a in post apartheid. I fear what the hell we teaching them. I fear what the hell we teaching them because we haven't demonstrated that we know what the hell to do right here. Mm. You know, look at the number of African Americans that are convicted out of Wayne County and then exonerated. We represent the largest numbers or the second largest number in the country. Yeah. And there's a black prosecutor, the same one that took and said that she needs to push back on what the Washington County prosecutor said that he was gonna cease and desist in doing. <coughs> and, and here is her, what do you, you guys use this word, hyperpolar? She was using, she used an example of why she didn't wanna do this. Because sometimes we find dead bodies in the car. I spent 43 years in Michigan prison as a paralegal studying helping other guys with their cases i ran across a single individual that had a dead body in his car yes. and he was a drug addict he was a drug addict taken and transporting someone from a drug house that had done died okay that's what the dead body so that number doesn't justify stopping elliot while she's driving it doesn't justify stopping Jay Love while she's driving. It doesn't justify the numbers that you see in Dearborn. You know, the largest number you got like African-Americans represent what, less than 2% or, or something of, of Dearborn population, but they are stopped 90 something percent at the, at the time in terms of all the stops. They, get, they gain millions of dollars of African-Americans just trying to drive through uh, um, Dearborn. And the, the, the Detroit police chief, the one that just took and retired so he can run for governor, he cooperates with them. Yeah, he Ali, cooperate with them. Ali, you know uh, something about that, don't you? Please. Um, about, go ahead. The police stops in um, Dearborn and... Uh, cooperation with Detroit? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Dearborn and Detroit um, Police Department, they work together to police people at the border of those two. Um, yeah, there's a team that the Dearborn Police Department have called the TACT team. It used to be called the Border Crimes Initiative team. It was changed to TACT um, earlier this year. That team is created to border um, Dearborn and Detroit. That's exactly what they're there for. 
Um, in fact, 73% of the citations issued was this 2019-2020 was um, from them. Um, so we know exactly where the numbers are coming from. Um, you know, even Janet Wilson's case, and, and this was a woman who was murdered uh, by a Dearborn police officer. And um, even on that case, if you, you look at the news and you look at what happened with it, you see to the police chief of Dearborn, chief of that, and you see Chief Craig um, collaborating on the situation and all of that. So it, they're, they work together. Um, they work together to continue to police Black people, unfortunately. Um, what I go back to with all of this, um, you know, I don't necessarily see this as something like, you know, we, we see us, uh, us in those numbers all the time. We see us in the prisons. We see us being cited and everything. Um, and white people we don't see. I wouldn't say they know how to keep themselves out of jail and we don't. I wouldn't say anything like that. I would say this is more of a world problem and it's a combination of colorism and anti-Black racism. Um, you know, there's no other, like you think of um, like the Atlantic slave, slave, slave trade, um, it was always a one-way street. So like, you know, Africans were always people enslaved. It was never an African tribe kidnapping Europeans, um, holding them in bondage for thousands of years. Um, or it was no, you know, even, we think about how Arabic people were involved in that too. There's no um, African tribe that captured Arab women and kept them for centuries as sex slaves. That doesn't exist. There's only a one-way street. So, um, you know, that's the reality we're in. Um, and it's about color. It's about racism in, in America, but it's about color at the end of the day. And uh, that is why, you know, we are where we are on the spectrum of, I believe on the spectrum of um, receiving racism is because of how the world um, in terms of slavery and especially capitalism is set up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, um, I often wonder because of that allegiance, see, because of that allegiance, how often do they cross the, the border? How often do they cross the line? How often do they pursue going into Detroit? Because I know of a young man who had, and I'm not saying he didn't do anything wrong. He had robbed, uh, what was it, a, um, a restaurant in Dearborn and was getting away. And he was on, I believe, a motorcycle. And, and he, they, he was pursued over into Detroit by Dearborn police. And they just shot him. And, you know, and I often wondered, had he been Caucasian, would he be alive? Would he been able to go to trial? Would he been able to, you know, go ahead and do due process? And so what, what we fail to see oftentimes in our own community and with our own eyes is our own fallacies. Our own, I mean, just that relationship alone that says, okay, we're going to work together. Mm -hmm. We're going to work together and we're going to get these black people and put them in jail is what they're doing. But they're working together. But nobody's looking at the fact that, okay, you're working together, but you're crossing lines. You, you, 
you say there's a border, but then you get to pursue. You get to come in and you get to kill often. And so we do ourselves an injustice when we make these kinds of agreements and also when we do it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I do agree um, um, with what was said earlier that, you know, education is key in the community, setting up times where we just talk about these things in the community, becoming more aware. Um, it, that is the answer because we have to make the change within us and and then force the change right. within these constructs. All right, that's leading me to this video. Additionally, people are asking this question. They're saying, you know, what can we do now that we have this administration that seems has values and policies that are so counter to some of the incremental progress that was being made in the last administration? And you know, to that, my main response, which isn't going to be an answer to your question, is more of an answer to kind of a national audience, is that it's really, this problem is fundamentally a state, county, city, and local problem, right? So 88% of prisoners nationwide are in state facilities, not federal ones. 85% of law enforcement officers nationwide are city, county, local law enforcement officers, not federal ones. So just like President Obama and Attorney General Holder got all the publicity in the last administration around criminal justice reform, but actually had a relatively small slice of the problem that they could affect, it's also true that Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions have, with all of their sort of retrograde policies that they're proposing, Sessions in particular, have a relatively limited ability to do damage. And that if the movement that we have built up at the state and local level nationally, that movement shouldn't lose sight of the fact that this system was built at the state and local level and it's gonna have to be dismantled there. So I'm always, and this comes up a lot, you know, I'm spending the year out in California and a lot of Californians, especially in the Bay Area, whenever a social justice issue comes up, they always say, well, you know, that's, a, that's an important issue. If I lived in like a red state, if I lived in a Trump state, then maybe I would kind of need to work on that. But I live in liberal California, or I live in liberal New York. And what I want to say on criminal justice and mass incarceration is there is no liberal bubble. California has the second largest prison system in the country. New York, until recently, was one of only two states in the country to prosecute all juveniles aged 16 and 17 as adults. So there, this is a national crisis. It's a crisis in every nook and cranny of our country. So we need to know our local legislators. We need to know the people in our state house. We need to know our local prosecutor. Now, okay, that's all well and good nationally, but in D.C., it remains the case that through this unique and problematic system of the, the, the prosecutor uh, reporting to uh, the president, um, what that means is that you do have this crisis. So there I would say it's, it's a little bit what I was talking about earlier about everybody operating in their, their sphere of influence. So one of the things that, that I noticed when writing this book is 
just like nobody said, we want to we be the world's biggest jailer, especially nobody said that in African-American communities. I mean, I can't find a single example of people saying anything along those lines. But what's also true is there, there is a, this is going to be kind of a harsh version of the statement, but I'll just put it this way. It's a, there's a sort of a pass the buck kind of attitude. There's a lot of people when confronted with the unjust system that say, like when I interviewed prosecutors about this book, they would often talk about the police. And the problem is that the police bring us these cases, and if the police would bring us a different set of cases, then we would prosecute a different set of cases. And then when I interview judges, they say, well, see, the thing is, the problem is the prosecutors, because the prosecutors prosecute these certain type of cases. And what I want to say is, yeah, that somebody else, how, how someone else is working or not working is always a problem. But what can you control? And as a judge, you have a lot of power. And if you don't like the way things are going, under D, certainly under DC's sentencing system, you have a lot of authority to buck that. And that's true for everybody else in the system. So I guess what I want to say is, it's going to be bad. The question then, though, is what can everybody else do in their sphere of influence to mitigate that harshness? And I think it's more than we sometimes assume. Additionally, people ask. Reverend Pinkney, <laughs> I want to go straight to you. Unmute yourself, Reverend Pinkney. Yeah, you know, what, what he's saying is, is so tremendous. Everybody keep passing the buck. Right, you know, right. and 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 that's how that's how that operates. When when you you know, and 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 he's right. When when you, you first you start with the police, they the one who actually arrest someone. But the prosecutor have a choice whether they're going to prosecute that person or not, regardless whether they bring them in there. He have the option, and and the judge can dismiss the charges. You see, so you know it's it's uh, what I have seen and have watched. Uh, that's inside the courtroom is that I see judges. At first, I see the, the police. They arrest anybody. Uh, one of the charges that they like to do now are uh, resisting arrest. You see, let's say they tell you to put your hands behind your back and you don't do it. You now have a, have a crime of resisting arrest. The prosecutor have a choice of whether he's going to charge you with resisting arrest. And most of the time, if the police officer presented, the, the the prosecutor is gonna is gonna charge you with it. Now what they do, they stack the charges up. You have six, seven charges of something that you know that that normally years ago you it'll be one charge. Nowadays they got so many. When you think about how they do this, is is so uh, and, and we allow it though. Anytime you allow it, then you just as bad. See, we can stop some of this stuff if we show just a little unity. There's power and strength. We we won't do that. Uh, if, if the lady next door son is in trouble, it's not my son. You know, we don't really care, you see. But if we all decided to go, that's why I started court watching. And when I started court watching, the first thing I did, I got folks together that's never been together. People didn't even like each other, you know. And we have a history of not liking each other. We, we don't like, I mean, for any reason. We don't like folks because they, they're wearing red shoes. 
We don't like them because they they too tall, too short, too fat, whatever. We find reasons. But what I did, I brought people together that's never been together before and was able to fight this courthouse down here. And the good news is we won. We won a lot of cases down here. We did some incredible work down here that even, you know, with no money, we didn't have any money. And we went, but my thing is that we have to challenge the cops, got to challenge the prosecutor, and we got to challenge the girl, the, the, the judges, because they don't, don't allow them to intimidate you because that's the tool that's in their toolbox that they use against us. Attorney Hugo, Matt. Okay. okay, there we go with that mute button again. Okay, so, so, so. <laughs> well, and and that's true, you know, um, in terms of intimidation. But let me tell you something. It 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 takes a, a strong breed of criminal defense attorney to buck that system, okay? Because on one hand, you have public defender type organizations that are paid and funded by the government, okay? And I've made a point of studying public defender organizations and the lack of funding they classically receive, okay? They, there, there's some changes now, you know, in Michigan with the Michigan appointed uh, appellate uh, counsel system and trying to get more money for, for public defender sort of organizations. But the problem is, like in Washtenaw County, the public defender's office is funded by the county commissioners, all right? And people that are on the commission are very, very susceptible to citizens coming, talking about how are you spending our money, all right? And so poor people really don't have a voice, all right? They don't, they don't go to the county commissioner's meetings, okay? All right? They, uh, far too often. But people who want to, to save the elm trees or, or, or make a better environment for the sparrows, you see, they show up, all right? They show up and they get that kind of attention and funding, you know? Uh, so the thing of it is, I guess the cynical side of me, you remember back in 2000, maybe it's 2006, they had proposal two on the ballot, remember that? That, that, that ended affirmative action in terms of, uh, using race and gender. Remember that? Remember that? Well, talk about hating ourselves. I'm sorry, J-Love. Bear with me for a minute here. Talk, okay. talk about hating ourselves. They always have a front person that looks like the home team, <laughs> okay, leading the way. And in the assault on proposal two, they had a black man by the name of Ward Connerly out of California, all right? All right? They had a black man that came here Hugging all these people who they these people outside of him being on their side wouldn't let this man in their house. All right. And they let him be the face of the assault on affirmative action in public institutions, all right, in the in, in the state of Michigan. And the only reason he was there was to give cover to the racist intent behind eliminating affirmative action, okay? Because they could point to him, this house Negro, and say, Well, see, now, 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 see, he's with us, he's with us. You know, I want to say, yeah, Uncle Remus, Uncle Tom, you know, right right there with you, all right? And so in terms of that, you know the proposal to pass. So affirmative action as we know it in public institutions no longer exists in the state of Michigan. It doesn't exist. So what I'm saying is, is that in terms of this whole thing about us hating ourselves, 
that's far too often uh, been the been the problem. So and 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 when people prioritize things, you know, they voted to eliminate affirmative action, but they voted to pass laws, uh, a, a, a public uh, referendum that says it is illegal to shoot doves. Did you know that? Did you know that? You you can't hunt a dove in the state of Michigan. So there's a guy by the name of Ted Nugent, uh, uh, somewhat of an avowed racist, but but a musician also. At least he made some very racist comments. You know, he was up in arms about that. He was up in arms because he and his buddies couldn't go out dove hunting, but said not one word about black people and women who were being disenfranchised in the opportunity to get a proper education. So what I'm saying is, is this: we have a multiple problem. A problem is we got people in the community so willing to sell their integrity out just to be in a room with people, all right? Not that they love them people, not that people want to be, you know, with these people like the war colonies. And you notice, ever since he came to Michigan and did that, you ain't heard a word from him, ain't heard a word about him. He has been relegated to the trash heap of used house Negroes, all right? Just like the brother that was the chairman of that pizza company uh, ran for president uh, as a Republican some years back. Uh, the brother's name escapes me at, at the moment, all right? The brother died of, 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 of COVID-19, up there hugging up and wanting to be up in Trump. They didn't give that man a footnote in the Republican uh, convention. Not a footnote. You understand Herman what I'm saying? Uh, who? Herman Cain. Right, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, they, I'm sorry. I'm, that brother didn't get a footnote. So what I'm saying is we see it time and time and time again. And until we can pull ourselves together, we're going we're gonna to confront them. And I agree with what with, uh, with, with Reverend Ed, Ed, Ed Pickney said. We got to be able to call these people out and stop let them hide behind, uh, well, I'm black, I'm here, uh, look at me. Because those are the kind of people that will get on the boat and pull the damn ladder up behind them. See, that's, that's, that's the problem we got right there. So, um, Attorney Hugo Matt, why I got you. Um, we can have the same conversation about um, our new, uh, well, not new, but um, uh, what's his name? That um, Chief Craig. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, and 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 you, you know, Jay Love. Um, I I said this last week, and I'm gonna say it again. Do not underestimate the political power of mm -hmm. of that man should he decide to run for governor. Do not right. underestimate it. Because I'm telling you right now, the way I see it, it's a 50-50 between him and uh, and the governor should he decide to run. All right. Yes, because, I mean, yeah. I want. I just. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I have watched different people on different platforms talking to people in Detroit. Just just say Detroit only, and all of the people, black people, said that they would vote for him. You know, and I just find it amazing because why? You know, he gives the illusion as he's doing all these things, but look at the numbers, look at the numbers, look at the stats, look how they treated the protest, you know, all these things. But we have been conditioned to our own demise. So we don't even, sometimes we don't even open up our eyes to see that some of these things that people that look like us are doing are not always for us. Right. Did you uh did you see him on Fox News? Craig Craig was on Fox News. He was uh uh giving his uh giving his thoughts. Uh matter of fact, he'd been on there several times. Mm -hmm. Uh uh and, and here's another thing. At that time he was a Trump supporter. 
that was the one that got next to me. Uh, and and here, here, you're going to have a lot of black folks who else going to vote for Craig because Craig is black. <laughs> you're going to have a lot. And that might neutralize Whitmer, you see. So that's something that, that people are, are going to have to look at. Craig is not on your side. He never been. But Reverend Pinky, we also have to remember Whitmore. Uh, I mean Whitmer. Uh -huh. <laughs> is she on our side? You know, we've been she, asked. Right. She, she ran on a platform or refund or right. reform. Um, we begged her, email her, rally about mm -hmm. the COVID in the prisons. Mm -hmm. There are so many things. How many people lost family members? in those nursing homes to COVID. Absolutely. So you, have, you know, um, like the gentleman, um, um, James Foreman said in a video, you know, these lib uh, liberal areas, you know, we think that they are more progressive and they're helpful, but sometimes they're more harmful than helpful. Um, Edward? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this and um, I'm kind of like thinking about still concerned with my my position um about how we need to re-educate ourselves mm -hmm. this issue with with this individual that's finna taken um put on a run for governor he's he's finna take and show the reality of the police department in general police police is our instrumentality they're a, a utensil they always have been okay whether they were catching slaves or what have you they always been intended the very intent of the police department was to use it as a utensil and in this case <coughs> with all of the <coughs> national demand to take and abolish or to reform policing the republican party is going to use him this is not going to be a state yeah. election this is going to be a Better, I mean, this is going to be a, a national referendum on whether or not we take and change policing as we now know it. They are finna take and use this black man to take and argue that issue. So he's finna take and get his script from the Republican Party. That's where he's finna get his script from. And that's where he's finna get his finance from. Mm -hmm. Okay? So the words that come out of his mouth and the money that he's spending is going to be their words and their money. Okay? We need to take and accept that and accept that early on. Mm -hmm. Damn right he's going to be a viable candidate mm -hmm. because you have a, some viable interest behind him. And so they're going to push him hard. It ain't the first time that Republicans on a national level got involved in Michigan politics yeah. in terms of governorship. When they feared that Coleman Young would take and run for governor, they took and tried to preempt him with a former law enforcement person that at the time was a former FBI and a Wayne County Sheriff, <coughs> William Lucas. Mm -hmm. Okay? <coughs> they took and ran William Lucas as a candidate for governor. They never intended to take and have him to succeed. They was only intending to, to use him as a as a Trojan before Coleman Young, the block Coleman Young. That was the intent, okay? When he served his purpose and he went to Washington, D.C. bagging, he never got a position in Washington. Mm. They sent his ass on back to the state of Michigan. Mm. Eventually, they took and gave him a job as one of the uh, 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 U.S. Attorney Generals 
in one of the districts, I believe, here in Michigan. But he never got, <clears throat> he thought he was going to become a U.S. Attorney General. He thought he was going to become the U.S. Attorney General, you know, for his reward of taking and running and, and blocking what they believe would be Coleman Young's run. Okay, now we have the same thing. But you're right, the present governor isn't somebody that has proven that she's in our corner. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so we need to tell our fellow Democrats, particularly our black fellow Democrats, find you another candidate. And it's not in this guy. And it's not in this woman. It's not in neither of them. So just because I may oppose this one candidate don't mean I support the other one. Okay. And we need to get this message out real early and real quick that this man will not be running on an issue that is in our best interest. He want to take, if you listen to what he argued on, on Fox News, you never heard any of his ideas about governing no. um, uh, 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 um, the state of Michigan. You never heard him talk about how he can affect change in the largest city in the state or the largest cities in the state. He never took and talked about any of that. The only thing he talked about was policing. Right. The only thing he talked about was policing. And that's what his agenda is about, is to push back against the reform or the abolition of policing in this country, which, which is, is retarded. Because this is the civil rights issue of our era. This is our civil rights issue. We are now taking down or attempting to take down one of the remaining institutions of slavery that's most abusive to us. That's not to say that the court system isn't abusive, but they all use the police. The police mm -hmm. is, a, is, is, is a utensil, and that's the utensil that we are taking and trying to rid of. And now they finna take and use a black person on the national stage to push back against that. And we have to make it where this this campaign will be lost because we intend to reform policing in the United States of America. Yeah. This institution has to change. We have to go after their unions and we have to go after each and every last one of them every time they goof up on their job. We need to go after them. And to take and run a candidate like this, I know exactly mm. what they're doing. And we have to begin to take and realize that and act accordingly. Right. I agree, because um, he's been talking mm -hmm. a lot about qualified immunity. Yeah. Um, you know, how qualified they need qualified immunity. And as uh, as we're pushing as uh, activists, we are talking against qualified immunity. Mm -hmm. So when you have someone mm -hmm. with a platform, and I, I don't know if it's you, Reverend Air Pinkney, or uh, Attorney Hugo Matt, but one of you guys said, you know, his... Um, he has a um, every police station, or police, um, yeah, police station is like his his campaign office. Yeah, absolutely. Going to push his agenda, mm -hmm. so he don't have to set up anywhere. He got a whole lot of them all over the state of Michigan. Yeah. So it's going to take us, you know, um, sticking to our guns, and you know, fighting this because it, it, he has a. His name is Holly, you know, Sam named him Hollywood Crab for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to find yeah. white nationalists and everybody supporting this campaign. They're going to take mm -hmm. off their clans sheets and all of them going to get right behind him. Mm -hmm. 
and see how much they love black folks. That's right. first and, thing on my they, they love Craig. Oh, right, we love right. Craig. Yeah. You know. And see, and see the other thing is that is the same thing that happened with John James. Right. Only there, mm -hmm. there wasn't enough push behind mm -hmm. John James. See, that that's the issue. There wasn't enough push. So mm -hmm. now that this uh, election is over and uh, Joe Biden won Michigan, that fire is built up even more on them. Because <laughs> if, if they had known this election was going to end up this way, um, and I believe Michigan went for Biden by like maybe 160,000 votes or something like that. Somewhere around there, right. Yeah, yeah, see, it wasn't no landslide, okay? Yeah. You, know, you know, They've got a football stadium in Ann Arbor that holds, holds 110,000 people. That's right. So when you look at the entire population of the state of Michigan, voting population, so you take that football stadium on one Saturday and half of that football stadium on another Saturday, that is the difference between who got those electoral college votes in Michigan. Mm -hmm. For you and me, that may look like a lot of people, but yeah. spread out, yeah. out over 10 million people in the state of Michigan, mm -hmm. that's not a big margin, folks. That is not a big margin. So my prediction is, is that they're going to remedy that this time by one, the voter suppression issues in Michigan, which they have, by the way, two, by those police ramping up even more because Donald Trump was quote unquote pro-police, but James Craig is a police. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there, there's that kinship that that's, that's going to be there. That is going to be an awful hard force to overcome. I'm just predicting that. Well, I, I'm I'm predicting that we have a report card for these people who are in service, who are in positions of service, and we need to begin to highlight them online. We need to be talking about this like we are doing right now and putting it out there and educating the community. This is why he gets an F. Mm -hmm. He gets an F for service. He gets an F for what he's doing. This is why. And we Absolutely. need to put it out there. You know, why? What, what are the reasons why? Most citizens don't even know why. They're only voting because, uh, because he's African-American, because he says he's for mm. the people. They don't even know why, um, you know, why these police officers can go into the courtroom, courtroom and then have immunity. They don't understand. But yeah. we, need to we need to publicize it. He gets an F. Reverend Tia, you, you know, one of, one of the things, too, just like uh, John James, a lot of black people voted for him. You I know? know. Yeah. See, a lot of black people done. voted for, for John James, uh, 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 a guy who said he would die for Trump. <laughs> yeah. See, that's my question. He said he was going, I would die for Trump. He said, <laughs> How you a black man, huh? <laughs> one, of the, one of the most racist individuals in the world. You gonna die for him? That's hey, my Robert. question. Like, are we, are we, you know, back to what J Love was saying about the commercials and what she was saying about James Craig and black people vote want to vote for him, mm -hmm. and just, you know, back to uh, what you saying to you about who uh, people just voting to vote or whatever because <laughs> he's black. Um, are we like looking into our city? That's what it comes down to. Are we looking into where we live? Are we asking the, the city for data on the police? Are we even doing that? If you're not, then I can see how someone would just vote and do yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Like if we're not directly doing that where we live, you're not even looking at it, then you're just gonna do whatever and just 
oh, well, that's what I see. Yep, I'm just going to vote that way. No, mm -hmm. we need to start asking questions. Right. And just because, like, in that video we show, he's talking about California and how it was liberal, a liberal state. Yes, liberal. But all these states make up the whole pie. You know, the whole the whole pie is America. And it makes mm -hmm. up that top incarceration number that we saw, that rate we saw. It makes mm -hmm. that up. So liberal or not. You know, Southfield, for example, you know, I like Southfield. It's not like when I think about other communities, I'm not, I like, I like it a lot in comparison to others. <laughs> but that doesn't mean we don't have problems. Mm -hmm. We're exempt from this whole racism thing. No, we mm -hmm. have some things to figure out, regardless of you like it or not. You know, mm -hmm. we all are in this country. So people just need to start realizing that um, regardless of you like it because they're Black, they doing what you think they're doing a job. They still are up under that system of racism. So we have to fix it. And just like you said about liberal California, they're the, like the number two of the most incarcerated um, people in the United States. And just like Michigan, we were talking about Michigan. We had we were number two in honorees last year, you know. And so mm -hmm. we have these problems and that we um, can't be a part of the problem by not doing our own due diligence. Mm -hmm. We have to we have to do our work. We have to because if we don't understand our history. Then we keep repeating the same things over and over again. We have to look at our history. We have to find out why did these things happen. And then we have to come up with reasonable goals to make change. You know, mm -hmm. but first is we as individuals have to take the first step. And that first step is educating yourself. Like you said, Ali, looking up the stats, you mm -hmm. know, um, listening to these kind of programs, uh, having conversations with your family members and other people, go mm -hmm. outside your circle mm -hmm. and understand what's going on. Listen to Ed, Reverend Ed Pinkney on Sundays. Like mm -hmm. we have to, you know, we can't just sit back mm -hmm. and think somebody is coming to save us. Right. If you think Craig is coming to save you from uh, uh, Gretchen Whitmore, mm -hmm. <laughs> then you, you're being delusional. You know, he's not saving you. You know, no. he's going to add to more of the problem. But Jay Love, you got to remember um, what, what, you know, what everybody is saying is work. Right. You know, you, you got to get out, you know, and, and if you want to find out, uh, 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 give Craig a report card, that's going to take some work. And right. I, I think that's one of our pitfalls right there, that we fall into that bag because we most, well, I ain't going to say everybody. But I said a lot of us don't want to do the work. And yeah. that's how we go out and vote for a Craig or a John James, you know, because they're black. And, and if you're black, we figure you're going to do the right thing for black people. Sometimes that's how that's the mentality that we're dealing with. But that's not true. You <laughs> see, most of the time, they, you know, they, they know they have their marching orders. They know who they're going to support. They know what they're going to do. And it's not going to be for you. So, but we have to lock that in to to uh to, to the community and by educating them. We, we and, and 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 when we talk about education here, that's the key thing. We gotta keep talking about it. You mm. see, we gotta keep telling people about it. And then if you tell them, it's it's better than in most cases, most people is not gonna take the time out and look it up, you see, and do the research. You right. see, because that goes back to work again. Right. So we have to do what we're supposed to do. One of the things that we're supposed to do is keep educating, keep telling people, 
keep telling them and and uh and once you tell them you 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 done part of your job right. you see because right. a lot of times we don't you know we don't we don't tell them enough we don't give them enough information right so thank you reverend ed pinkney i want you guys to know that turning a moment into a movement is now on your favorite podcast platform you can listen to us on anchor breaker google um, All right. Fly, Amazon, Apple, and iHeart um, podcast platforms. So um, before we leave, I want to start with Attorney uh, Hugo Mack and just ask you, you know, what would you like to leave us with? Well, you know, coming up on the 26th, we have the one year um, uh, remembrance mm -hmm. of George Floyd. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what I want people to do is just take some time between now and then and just be still for about 10 minutes. Just be still. No phone, no TV, no communication. Just be still, you know? And in that time of stillness, just count how many breaths you took. Mm. In that time of stillness, how many breaths you took, okay? And imagine how you would feel if I took just one of those breaths, just one, just wow. one. Okay, you know. So that's what I'm asking my brothers and sisters to do. Thank you. That's powerful. Mm. Uh, Baraka. Uh, most of us may believe that these issues are very complex, and that we don't have the time or the resources to take and literally keep statistics and uh, um, be tentative to different events that are going on and taking notes and things. Well, we have fine institutions and organizations to do that for us. One of those organizations is the Detroit Justice Center. Take and go on their webpage and look at some of the um, significant work that they're doing in the city of Detroit and for Detroit residents. And um, support them, support an organization like that. Support them with your dollars and so forth. Support them when they ask you to take and come out um, um, and support the things that they're involved in and take advantage of the services that they are providing um, Detroiters, whether it's to take and keep people in their home during this pandemic from being evicted or taking and trying to keep your um, your energy on in your houses or to take and bail to, to, to abolish the um, cash bail system so that you don't have to put up mama's house to take and get uh, um, daddy out of jail or uh, um, things of that nature. So they're doing some very significant and relevant things to us all. You don't have to use the excuse today anymore that, that you don't have the ability to do this. You don't have to have, you do have the ability. You have it through these organizations, yeah. whether it's the Detroit Justice Center, the uh, Michigan Liberation Organization, yeah. or some of the many other organizations that we have advocating and getting out there and demonstrating for us or yeah. taking and creating policy in Lansing and so forth or in Washington, D.C. Please support some of these organizations. Go on the um, webpage again at Detroit Justice Center and see some of the um, very beautiful things that they're doing and ask yourself which of those that you can support. Thank you. Yes, and I want to add that you said the uh, Michigan Liberation is still doing the Black Mama bailout. So you can go to their page on Facebook or their website 
And if you need a black mother to be bailed out, contact them. It's the Michigan Black Mother Bailout. Uh, or you want to donate, there's a link on their page. Um, I think this is going to be going on through um, Juneteenth. So, uh, Alexander, Alexandria, mm. <laughs> Ali, <laughs> what would you yeah. like to do this with? Um, yes. Um, so, a few things. On uh, the 25th of this month, it is the anniversary of um, the murder of George Floyd. And it is the same day as the Dearborn City Council meeting next week. And we'll also be having a protest, um, sit-in protest before the council meeting an hour before, um, and also speaking out at the council meeting that day. Um, they haven't done anything in, since um, the murder of George Floyd. They have, and since being on council, that prior to that, they, they haven't done anything to change. Um, no racism that occurs against Black people in Dearborn. And that will, uh, so please attend that. That'll be um, at the Dearborn Administrative Center um, at 6.30, 7.30, and then speaking out at the council meeting at 7.30. Um, and yes, yeah, so between that and then between Southfield, um, I work there as well. Um, right now, I'm just trying to get some accountability measures in place. Um, right now, we have the duty to intervene policy that is in place. Um, and that progress has been made since um, since the murder of George Floyd. So there's a, a difference between two cities <laughs> right there. Um, and, and one thing um, that's going on at Southfield too, the Southfield prosecutor is looking at a case that was a wrongful conviction. And that wrongful conviction, I think was over 20 something years ago. And uh, it was a fire. And that person, the prosecutor who prosecuted that case, is was is presently working for Dana Nassau, and I think he had to. They had to re um, put him somewhere else because of this case. So we're gonna be looking at that as well. Mm. Coming wow. out of the county. Interesting. I'm gonna have to look at that. Right. I'm not sure. Right. The last thing I'll, I'll say is uh, look into your cities locally, regardless of whether it's liberal. They're doing things. You know, I see Ann Arbor doing a lot. I see Ipsy. Certain areas really out there doing it, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't change it. You shouldn't be involved. Start um, seeing if your city council meetings are accessible. Can you even see the screen on Zoom? Is it just a call in? Can you even attend? Like some people don't even know these things. Um, start asking these questions. Start um, digging into these things and change your community. Yes. Reverend Tia? Oh, okay, Reverend Tia is gone. So Reverend Pinkney, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you yeah. from Benton Harbor. Um, what would you like to leave us with? I, I would like to say this. Those of you who are listening, I'll make it short and brief. Uh, you should get the opportunity to start uh, court watching. You can do it by Zoom from home now. And I, and I think that uh, it, it's, it's a gigantic experience. That way you would know what to do and what not to do. And also, we have filed uh, 29 commutations uh, for people to be released from prison. We've been for fortunate to have 24 uh, uh, of the 29 released. We, we just filed one recently to get this young man out, but he needs to see a psych. But we're, we're on it. We're on top of it. And, and I, I just want to say to everybody, when you fight, you win. 
And that's what we want to go. We want to fight everything because I like to fight everything. <laughs> On that note, I'm going to say good night. <laughs> and I also want to uh, send condolences <laughs> out to my family, uh, my um, cousins. They lost their son. He was um, in a hit and run accident um, Sunday night, and somebody ran him over and kept going. And and his funeral Saturday is also his birthday. And so I want to just send some love wow. Wow. to our family and uh, um, Baraka. Um, you wanted to say something before we leave? Yeah, and, and, and I don't want to step on that. Um, definitely, um, I send my condolences to you and your family as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Um, uh, um, I remember you saying something about that on Facebook, um, too. Mm -hmm. So, um, we all send our condolences here. Um, I wanted to mention to um, Reverend um, Pinky, uh, um, if you don't already have a gentleman on your list by the name of Eugene Rivers, Eugene Rivers, they go by the name of Ali Shabazz. Um, the gentleman is um, in his, um, I believe in his 80s now. Mm, okay. He's been locked up since, um, I believe, the, um, the mid-70s. Make sure that you have him on your list, Eugene Rivers. Why don't you give me some more information about him? Um, okay. Uh, do you know uh, Jerry Wilson? Um, he's, uh, he's in Coldwater. Sarge? Yeah. I knew a Sarge, but I don't know if it's he, the he same been down one. 42. He's he's the next one that you know we're we're working on him right now as okay. we speak. And uh uh he been he been down 42 years and uh we, we gotta figure out a way how we're gonna get him out. Nine out of ten, I know him. If you don't spend that much time, guys like that, we didn't all run across each other. If mm -hmm. not on you, Jackson, Marquette, and Huron Valley. We don't tend to have been at those prisons together. And I know that there are some gentlemen, you know, these are guys like in the case of Eugene Rivers. This is somebody, when I left prison, he was alternating between canes and wheelchairs. Mm. Okay. Not a threat to anybody. Mm. Well, give, alternating give me on a daily basis. Give me some information about it, okay? And uh, okay. I promise you we'll look into it. No yes. problem. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And you guys, um, have an awesome weekend. Uh, it's going to be uh, pretty nice this weekend, I think. Mm -hmm. So have an awesome weekend. All um, right. It is our duty to fight for our freedoms. It is our duty to win. We must love, respect, and support each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. Thank you, everyone. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Be blessed, All right. everybody. All right now.